Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an episode of The Artenders with Mac and Dan. I am Dan, he is Mac. Howdy. We are revisiting a wonderful piece of media that perhaps you never heard. Maybe uh, perfect, maybe perfect piece of media. Wow. Okay, I'm but, but in terms of heard, uh, yes, so we did an episode on this movie. It was actually a very first episode, but unfortunately it had to go down because of quality assurance. You know, we were QA testing per se. And uh, so this was actually officially our first released episode, but because it went down, uh, we felt the need, or at least I felt the need to uh, put it back into the rotation again. And also it's still a fantastic movie and uh, it's up there in terms of one of my favorite movies. And I think it's safe to say also that it's up there for Mac, one of his favorite movies as yeah. well and this movie is a a film that was released in the year 2000 and oh uh, my god the reference i just loved it and it was a uh, movie <laughs> by the name of remember the titans it is a movie that takes place in 1971 uh about a uh high school in alexandria that was just integrated with uh, white individuals and black individuals. It is directed by Boaz Yakin, written by Gregory Allen Howard, and starring Denzel Washington. And it is one of, if not the, but it, we could have a discussion about that later on, the quintessential football film. Yes, easily. Now, I haven't seen every football film. I haven't seen... Uh, the, I don't think anyone has. And, well, I mean, well, perhaps, sure. <laughs> I, I think there's... That's someone's possible. life goal. I've, I, well, I, I'm, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I kind of want to watch, like, every baseball movie. Like, just to see. Just oh, to see. that'd be fun. That'd be a fun day. But, like, it, I think it's either between this or maybe the original Longest Yard or maybe oh. uh, Rudy as well. Wow, so, yeah, which, yeah. Which I haven't... I've only seen pieces Little of the Longest giants. Yard. Different. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I have not seen Rudy, right? So, like, I am limited in in terms of this conversation. But, like, this is a magical movie. But, Mac, before uh, we get into my thoughts, I want to hear your thoughts. So, we watched this movie separately but together uh, last year. And because so... And before that, like, we had hadn't seen the movie in a long time but yeah. now like we were only a year off from the last time we viewed this movie so so what were your thoughts on this movie watching it again this year only uh, a few days ago that you watched it and and what, what were your impressions how do you feel it aged um was there anything new that you picked up on just a- anything that you are feeling to talk about in the context of having it watched it last year feel free to let me know danny fine wine oh fine Wine. Are you implicating that it has aged akin to fine wine? I I am implying indeed that it has aged akin to fine wine. Yes. So it uh I got to say you know if if you wait to open up a bottle of 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 a beautiful red wine yeah. after 20 years It'll be just as delicious, if not more so, 21 years later. Yeah, and, like, delicious in a different way. Like, you're yeah. going to get a slightly different flavor notes as well. Yeah. And I think we both had that experience as well. Yeah. That we got different flavor notes that we are going to get into later on in yeah. the podcast. But, y- yes, I, I Absolutely. agree with that notion. So, so I, I, I got to say, though, that the thing that kept ringing in my head that I remembered thinking last time that I did think again this time is this. It is one of the best lessons that I have gotten uh, as a director or writer um, in terms of playing to uh, your audience. Not necessarily the audience that is um, 
is expected, but trying your hardest to play to the audience that needs the message the most. Right. Um, we talked about it a little bit uh, uh, last year with with actually a couple different things. We, we talked about it with, um, I think we talked about it with uh, John Coltrane a little bit. Sure. That um, one of the most challenging parts of being an artist is uh, the idea that you want to make art that maybe changes people's minds. So how are you going to get a uh, message in front of someone that already disagrees with that message. Yeah. You know? Um, And I think that Remember the Titans does such a stellar job of that. That it is not a sports movie. Mm -hmm. It is a movie about race that has chosen the vessel of sports. Right. It's through that context, through that lens. Exactly, exactly. And, And what's so beautiful about this movie as well is it's through the unification yeah. of sports. Right, right, right. Exactly. But if you think about who are the average people that are watching sports movies in America? Uh, pro- I mean, typically, probably... Uh, yeah, I mean, well, white people, white, white people, white, white dads, people. Yeah. Yeah, 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 especially yeah. like, yeah, like o- older, probably in, sure. in, in that age range, yeah, Pro- probably, uh, probably white, but like families too, class. considering that this yeah. is a Disney movie or produced yeah. by Disney, yes. right? So, so that, that's another consideration to have, so but definitely kids as well, but yeah, right. But, but if you're if you're trying to make a movie that goes straight to the white folks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about race. I'm serious. Yeah. About race. I think it's pretty clever to make it Disney and to make it a sports movie. Yeah. And hell, even to make it Denzel Washington. Like, th- these are all very, very accessible things for white people to latch on to. In the same sure. way in, in the same way that especially that it's like football, you know. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're not trying to implicate that this is a, you know, a, a movie, movie for white people. Right, it's right, not, right. It's, it's like not. it's not it's just like it just happens so happens to be that like majority of like the demographic that's going to view this movie more than likely, I think it's exactly. it's relatively safe to say that it's mostly going to be, be, be white people. Yeah, exactly. Especially whenever it came out in the year two thousand. Yes. Yeah that 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 was that was exactly the audience that was going to pick that up, and uh, and I, I think that's very clever. I think that's very very good um, marketing, but also by planning and storytelling. Right. Uh, that you are making this message for an audience that you think needs to hear it and going straight to them. Um, I think. Uh, uh, this it, it can be kind of similar to um, one of my favorite examples of this recently was uh, Knives Out. Uh-huh. Um, that Knives Out, at face value, looks like again it's not actually, but it looks like a white movie. Yeah, it looks like a whole bunch of old white actors with a white director and writer. Especially considering that it's a whodunit, which is it's like a whodunit. This, such a great example of like senior citizen level yeah. of like. Uh, storytelling, which like right. let's just get out there that whodunits are the best, but that's they are fantastic. A, a different conversation for a different day. We will get there though. Um, but that y- even even your lead that is from a different country, the only not white person in the cast, is still very white looking. Yeah, and, like very Eurocentric features yes. uh, facially. Yeah. As well as they are in the back of the poster, despite the fact that they're the lead. Yeah. Um, because they're not not the most famous person, all these things kind of play into the fact that it it is at face value more of a white movie that at the very end gives you a very subtle and very interesting hint of 
uh, uh, racial message. Yeah. That it talks about immigration yeah. in a very interesting way. And that kind of it gets slipped in at the end uh, w- without it hitting you over the head. In the same way that Remember the Titans kind of very subtly spoon feeds you a message while, you know. It, I would not say keep you comfortable. Okay, sure. Subtle, subtly is is being disingenuous to the film that, like, I love this film. It, I mean, but of course, of course it's going to. It knocks you over the head of, like, hey, racism? Dumb as shit. It's yeah. ridiculous. You're right, And you're it's right. absurd that we let it, first of all, be an issue in the 60s and 70s and for well over a century before that, as well as, like, let's also consider the fact of, like, let's look, in, look it through the lens of, like, why was this movie made? Now, I don't know the specific context about the year 1999, 1998, and what was going on there, especially considering that we were born during that time, right? And we don't know the height of that sort of thing, but but there's there's a need for sometimes stories to be told. And I believe, I would like to believe that that at, at the very least, Gregory Allen Howard felt the need of, like, I want to tell this story. Also based on a true story, let's not forget that. I want to tell this story because I think it's a story that needs to be told. Now, why it needs to be told? Maybe because it needs to be um, preserved. But it needs to be preserved because sometimes, uh, as a human race, we do things in a cyclical manner. We I love bringing this up. We talked about cycles a lot when we reviewed The Wire that mm-hmm. essentially how a season started and how a season ended was in like the same place. Also knowing that the characters changed radically, but functionally as a system, nothing really changed overall. Yeah. And so there, there's a sort of need to show off, showcase this movie and this story when um, humans, we just tend to do that. That we tend to regress back to our old ways, our old habits. And so in order to prevent that, hey, look where we were and we need to be better than this now. Mm-hmm. And what's really, really aided by the fact of just like, first of all, it's a good movie, right? That we can sit here and we can really say to ourselves, man, this movie is trying its best to do something good, but it's a bad movie. Nobody wants to watch this. You don't, regardless of what message a movie has or what something is trying to do, you don't want to watch something that's bad. Right. That, and excuse my crassness, it fucking sucks. Yeah. It would, I wouldn't want to do that. I remember a friend of mine uh, a couple of years ago or something was watching a bad TV show because the bad TV show was predominantly Hispanic characters. And I was very confused, and I'm allowed to say this because I'm also Hispanic, and I was very confused. I was like, but you shouldn't support bad work. I understand the need to like support something that like you want to be a part of because you're Hispanic as well and like you want to like support these voices per se, but like you shouldn't be supporting bad work because then the expectation is just bad work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when we are making art that's regarding racial division, we shouldn't be supporting bad work. And it makes me so fucking happy that we have watched a movie once again that is about the sport of football, which is like a fun sport, and of course it has its issues with the NFL, but the issues with the NFL and not the sport. Um, but then also, like it's a movie about racial division, that's good. And yeah. it's great, and even though it's campy in a few parts, I mean, even though maybe a few jokes don't land, 
what really supports this movie and really he puts it on his back and he does an amazing job and I wouldn't want to see anybody else performing his role is of course Denzel Washington. Yeah. And and Denzel Washington becoming a household name after uh, eight years prior in 92 with his movie Malcolm X and just showcasing his absolutely brilliant work. And then even, even though I'm happy this movie exists, I'm happy the script exists, but the script and the dialogue is nothing too impressive. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to the execution that Denzel provides. And it makes you sit there and really think to yourself, I, don't, I wouldn't trust anybody else with this. Uh-huh. Here's the best example. Yeah, please, please. In the sort of first act of the film, right before they go to the uh, training camp, right? The the entirety of the football team and the staff. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment where Gary Bertier and Ray Buds, I believe his name is, uh, go up to Coach Boone, who was played by Denzel. It's like, hey, this is what's going to happen. We already figured out this team. You don't need to worry about anything. If you want to screw around with offense, fine. But defense... That's perfectly fine. You don't need to mess with it. Just keep our boys playing. Our boys being, you know, the white guys and screw all the black guys. We got this. Don't worry about it. And so the dialogue after that, the dialogue that Denzel says, not that impressive, that he says, oh, so you you look like Gary. You look like Jerry Lewis and your buddy right here uh, is Dean Martin. Jerry, you you tell all the jokes and Dean, uh, you pick up all the ladies. And then he steps back and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. And then he starts clapping, right? And then he, it becomes a slow clap. And then he says to Gary, no, 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 I run this team. And who, where's your mom? Points out his mom. Okay, that, that's your mom. But like, you know... I'm I'm the father on this team, and then steps into this like very much so lower, intimidating, uh, and disturbing tone of just like so. Who's your daddy? Like who's you know it it depends on me whether or not you're gonna play. So who's your daddy? And then Gary admits to saying, "You're my daddy." Yeah. And I wouldn't trust any other actor with that because so much of that dialogue is a trap. It's so easy to make it super duper contrived, and in a way it was, but like. I believe that moment because it's fucking Denzel Washington. Sure. And and so. Do you so, think it's the fact that it's Denzel Washington, or do you think it's the what he does specifically to it? I, I think it's a combination of like the fact that it's Denzel Washington, of the fact of just like he is so alive in that moment that he's just committing a hundred percent to what's going on, but it's not being too absurd. It's still there's such a great focus on the objective that he has in hand, which is. No, I'm the one that wears the pants, and I'm going to beat you with the belt as well. And that's a consistent theme and motif that his character um, visits throughout the movie and is brought up to his character throughout the movie as well. Uh That he, I mean, not literally, but figuratively, beats others with the belt. Yeah. Have you ever Um, seen Training Day? uh, So I haven't seen Training Day in a very long time. I know it was released after this one, I yeah. know that Denzel Washington is a corrupt cop, and I know that is another like uh, sort of statuesque performance of Denzel's. That, in my mind, that's the best Denzel performance. Yeah, that that's where Denzel's like becomes ethereal. But it's like, well, I mean, but what we're seeing here is this sort of like infant version of Training Day, where like, no, I'm going to control every situation. Mm-hmm. Every situation is mine, and there's this confidence that he acts and plays throughout. That like, no, no. no. And I know it's mine. Yeah. I don't have to work for it. 
um, because I haven't. And because, let's also look at the context of he is a football coach for a uh, high school that loves football, right? That football is their, is their bread and butter, right? So if he has to work for that power in front of everybody, then he's lost that power. Yeah. But if he goes into situations sort of looking like, no, I have the power. I am the one in the room that holds the crown. And it's not heavy on my head, period. Then we're just like, okay, we believe it. All right, you're here. Okay, then you are captain, easily. And then, like, it convinces Gary in that scene that as much as he doesn't want to listen, he's like, shit, I, I'm stuck between a hard and, uh, rock and a hard place. I have to follow with what he wants. And... Like, part of that is, of course, also how Coach Boone is written, that Coach Boone is always going to try to have the power in the room. But I think just it's just the perfect casting to have Denzel be that role. And then when you get those scenes outside of him being a, po- a coach, excuse me, um, it, it, it's like this, like, interesting bit of humanity of, like, oh, that's right, like, you're a person too you have feelings and emotions as well but you just can't show it to others because they can undercut you you know and so and that's also what makes uh his relationship with will Patton's character uh uh coach bill yost so interesting as well is that even though boone always has the power there's still this power dynamic that like yost isn't purposefully trying to get at boone but because of how the two work they're always at ends with one another because mm-hmm. of just how different they both manage the team. And so it's this wonderful, beautiful thing of like, I respect you and you respect me. But if one of us tries to cut each other's legs off, then like I'll bite back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, but it's a, it's a wonderful exploration that once again, I I don't want to see anybody else play that role. And perhaps somebody else could have, but I, I just, I, it's so perfect. It's yeah. so perfect. And I'm not, I'm not here saying like, this is Denzel's best role. And I'm not here saying like, this is the best role performed on screen. No, not at all. But it's so well suited for what this movie is trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a treat through and through. There's a question that I want to ask you. Okay. Kind of in the same ballpark. But I will ask it afterwards from our sponsor. Whoa. Hola, welcome back to the Artenders. <laughs> we got to keep that, right? Okay, good. Hola. Hola, welcome back to the Artenders with Mac and Dan. So, um, we left off with a question from Indeed. last. Uh, this is the question that I have for you, Mr. Daniel Arturo Lavelle. Okay. Where does Remember the Titans uh, rank on all-time sports movies? Well, I think it's up there. I mean, but, like, in terms of, like, the sports movies that I've seen. Yeah. No, no, I don't mean football. I mean sports. Right, right. So so it's never going to be my, first of all, all-time favorite movie and, and therefore, all-time favorite sports movie as well, Field of Dreams. It, it's, it's, a, it's a hard, hard one to beat, right? Do you accept that that's not objectively the best movie of all time? Unfortunately. Good, okay. As much as it breaks my heart to say, but it. but that but that that is something yes. that's just in your heart. Yes, Good. and so I haven't seen every single sports movie, but I've I've seen enough to feel safe to say, 
Yes, if you made a top 10 and potentially top 5 sports movies of all time, remember the Titans is part of that list. Mm-hmm. And what's really nice about this movie as well, uh, I don't think we touched on it uh, too much, but like, uh, or we did a little bit, but it's this sort of campy nature, right? The dialogue is not perfect, and some of it feels contrived, and oh, all of a sudden, they're singing a, a song by The Temptations. That feels a little bit forced because, like, nobody is really committing to it fully in terms of the acting either. Uh, but, you know what? I'm having a great time, and I'm still really emotionally invested in this movie because at the same time, maybe the dialogue isn't that great, but the overall story and the structure is really well done. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the the pacing, the pacing. We have not talked about the pacing in this oh, movie. Oh, true. I think the pacing in this movie is incredible. And alongside the message of what the mm. movie is trying to say, it's 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 trying to say something. It's not trying to just put itself out there. It's a combination of true story. We want the story to be told, and we need this story to be told. Uh-huh. Well, Danny, what makes good pacing, and how does this movie accomplish that? I think when you realize good pacing when emotional moments occur occur during the movie and you're like and and you you feel it you feel the emotional impact and you see the growth of characters and you see oh okay so Will Patton uh his Bill Yost in the first act is different in the second act is different in the third act and so and it's it's a combination of like relationships grow uh, things happen plot-wise in the story, and it's it's like it's it's a very fine line, and it's basically it's a balancing act, uh-huh. and it's difficult to describe and really look at like uh, good pacing and bad pacing, but it's it to me it's it's sort of like clear when it's just like okay the movie is over and I have. I have had a full experience. I have felt the highs, I have felt the lows, and they happen at appropriate times. And so, like, for example, let's, let's, uh, I accidentally kicked the desk because I'm an amateur. (laughs) For example, there is a, and this is a very easy example to reach, but there is, like, one of those, like, Google year in reviews videos that I saw. Yes, yes, yes. That one of them, I think it was, like, 2018 or 2019, that at the very beginning laid it on thick with, like, the heavy nature and the heavy sadness. And I'm like, holy shit, I just started this video. Like, oh, my God. Like, let's just ease into it a little bit more. Like, can can we, like, can we just, like, start with something just, like, easier, right? Like, nobody wants to, like, start right there. And if this movie started right there, then it's like, eee, right? Right. And this movie doesn't really. Yeah, Um, like, they they have to go to camp before they go to school. Yes. And that's a very important, like, evolution in the movie. Yes, exactly. And then, like, so allowing these characters to start with... With a eh, kind of, but I can't really find the term, a blank slate, and then growing together, right? It's so, so it's a combination of growing and they're growing together, mm-hmm. and then they reach this peak moment together where like we have reached the upper echelon of greatness with one another with our relationship we are fantastic with one another best example is with uh, Campbell and Bertier, right? And so like we're we're good buds now. Now, all of a sudden, there's there's something that separates them. And this is a common structure through a lot of movies. That, like, by the end of the second act, and I'm using air quotes, second act of a film. Um, even, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me go backwards because I tend to start stories in the middle, which is just the biggest fault of mine. Um, at the end of the first act... Do you think that's the number one fault of yours? 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. At the end of the first act, like, maybe, like, the main character relationship is at its peak, right? But then somewhere in the second act or at the very end of the second act, it gets lost. And then part of the third act is them rebuilding it back together and it becomes stronger. That happens in this movie as well. Mm -hmm. And so you get a complete pacing, and not complete pacing, but a complete story of, like, camp and then growing, like, in high school and then growing, like, as a team. Yeah. Once again. And those feel like very complete, separate, but whole stories. Yeah. While you're still getting development with Boom, with Yost, with Campbell, with Bertier, and then all the side characters as well, that it never feels like too much is going on at once. Yeah. That once it feels like, okay, so we've gotten enough about Petey, right? Okay, now we're going to introduce Sunshine yeah. as well. And, that's, and then and that's and an, slowly and, and integrate him into the film. And that's an excellent writer thing. Yeah. Um, that, 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 that's something that happened in planning months before they even started shooting. That was a stellar decision to be made. As well as um, that, that's a very good way of uh, talking about race issues. That if you are going to tackle something as tricky as race... Um, or the way that races uh, cooperate and interact with each other, you do have to do it first on an individual level, yeah. and then on a group level, and then on a community level. Yeah. And that's exactly what the movie that's, does. That's exactly it. Yeah. Which, is, which yeah. is very clever. And, and it's I think, never too close together, and it's never too far apart. Right, and, and, and that's what the story's going for, and, and it does it well, I, I think. Yeah. And then there are hills and valleys like throughout that journey as well. Ain't no mountains high enough. Ain't no oh. valley low enough. And ain't no river wide enough, baby. Baby, right. Yeah, to keep me from coming to you. Uh, so uh, I want to also get into our sizzle serve, or into oh, my sizzle serve yeah. at the very least. Um, and this is a really spicy one. And I just realized as well, I'm not the greatest teammate, so I'm just going to tease you. I'm going to tease you with this uh, sizzle, serve, sizzle serve, and you're just going to have to live with this tease until it comes back to bite you. Uh, so where does this rank for you as well as like oh. all-time great sports movies? Is this number one? Is this um, top five? Is it top ten? Is it just not even in the question? Not even part of the conversation? Where do you feel this movie? And this is, of course, classic radio talk. Of yeah. like, let's rank. That's exciting. Yeah, right. Uh, but, but, but like, but Honestly, because, like, this movie is a part of our childhood. Yeah. And it's it's a fundamental part. And part of it is nostalgia. But, like, as we get farther away from childhood and as we watch this movie again a year later, we're, we're a little bit farther removed from nostalgia. So now just looking at it in the context of now and the context of your current eyes, where does this rank for you? I think without nostalgia, uh, it is I, – I think it is maybe second place on – Maybe third place on all-time sports movies. Yeah. Because um, I, I do – there are some sports movies that are specifically uh, like autobiographical or uh, about a specific person. Yeah. And getting to see their entire life and how, how they affected sports is, I think, a really um, solid way of approaching a sports movie. So like, um, for instance, uh, I think that Hoosiers – Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic sports movie mm-hmm. um, that just, yeah, that just hits home every time. Uh, I also think that, oh, uh, another big one that is very, uh, very rarely talked about, which is a shame, is The Express about Ernie Davis. Yeah, 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 uh, Who, like, came into, to, I think, Syracuse after after Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, like, one of the first black football players um, in, like, the 
like 30s and 40s. Yeah. And it was that was a really, really, really good movie because he like. Oh god, it's about his life and that, like all of his hardships and everything, and how he was like one of the best football players of all time, or the best football player of all time by the time like whenever he was playing, and then he wasn't even able to go into uh, the NFL. He got drafted and then died before he was able to get on the field uh, from bone cancer. And real story, and like as you are watching the movie, it's. It's just so expertly crafted because the second that you get payoff, the second that, like, because every sports movie is the same. You work really hard and then you finally win the game. I've never seen a sports movie without payoff. Right. But, like, but like, but in the in the in the sense of like, I've never seen a sports movie that purposefully did not give you payoff. Exactly, exactly. There's always some feel good right. in there. Exactly. And this movie was so expertly made because it everything was the exact same as a sports movie. It felt like a regular ass sports movie mm-hmm. and it was kind of boring almost for a lot of it. And then exactly where you expect for the win to go, exactly where you expect for him getting drafted goes or like the fade out and like and then then he went on to do this and this and this narration at the end. Where that's supposed to go, he gets sick, starts coughing up blood and then he dies. And it's it hits. It really, really hits. And and I think that is, like, it's technically a sports movie. But yeah, what's yeah. what's so awesome about it is that it uses the sports movie format to trick and elevate. Yeah. Trick the audience and elevate its story mm-hmm. um, as more than a sports movie. Similar to Remember the Titans. Right. Um, but Remember the Titans, if we're factoring nostalgia, is for sure number one. Right. Um, th- this is just the movie that maybe with the exception of accidentally Transformers, which just came on FX all the time. I I gotta say, <laughs> it's true though, right? Every time that <laughs> you, you nailed put my, it, you nailed it. Every time you put like FX, FX, yes, you are correct. That's the Transformers channel. <laughs> oh my god. Um, uh, maybe with the exception of that, by accident, I gotta say that uh, I I definitely watch Remember the Titans more than any other movie in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, partially because my dad, partially because my brothers. It's just a really safe movie that we know that we're going to like every time we watch it. Yeah. And so just like wait a month or two, pop it back on. It's it's easy. It it's it's easy to digest every it's time. It's fun and and you find something new or at least I found something new here and there. Yeah. Each time. Yeah. Um that like I paid a lot more attention this time when I was watching it to the relationship between Boone and Yost. Yeah. Like last time uh when we watched it, I paid particular attention to ray buds and which is like the the white football player that never is always racist like he never changes yeah. um but like paying attention to him because i was like how is he acting in scenes like how how is this character going through scenes when it's like the football team's coming together but like is does he want to be a part of that and so like i was keeping an eye out for him but then in this watch i was like oh this power dynamic between boone and yost is so fascinating and so much of it is subtextual yeah that like once again like i don't uh, the dialogue that is said isn't that impressive but the dialogue that isn't said is all the more interesting and Mm -hmm. all the more fascinating Mm -hmm. like I, i i can't think of like many quotes in this movie or many quotes that i'm like yeah this movie but like i think about scenes that had boone and yost 
together and it's just them two and it's like this like delicate game of chess where it's like once again they respect each other but it's like i, w- I want to win you know yeah. and, and not just like win in the context of like this football team but like i also kind of want to win in this relationship not because i dislike you but because like i deserve to be here and i earned being here right right and so because they were both in like a similar position there was like this like animosity not animosity animosity is a very strong term but like this like uh, sort of butting heads relationship where like race wasn't really a factor, but um, it naturally was because they were just both different races and just yeah. like where they came from and who's supporting them. And in that way, to to be blunt, which we all know I'm probably going to be, I always am. Uh, with the with this watch for me, I think the big distinction is that this might be the first watch that I really appreciated and paid attention to the white people. <laughs> yeah. Like, I... Well, I, and I, and I noticed, too, how much focus there was on the white people as well. I was like, wow. And yeah. kind of it is an issue where I'm just like, oh, uh, we know a lot about Bertier's life and, like, we get his mom and his girlfriend and, like, his home life, right? Yeah, but we I... We get nothing on Campbell. Yeah. We get nothing on Campbell. Right, right. And, and, and the funny thing is, is that growing up, I... Maybe this is because of it in the Washington. I'm not sure, though. Uh, I... I really only gave a shit about the most about the black players. Yeah, like it wasn't like I watched Bertier and or, or or Bill Yost or whatever and identified with them. Yeah, and was like, ah, oh, yes, me. I see me in that character. I I didn't really care. I was there more for the fun, more for the fun of the movie and the fun of the scenes. Yeah, which one hundred percent of the time that's that's mean. Ninety percent of the time came from Denzel Washington. Yeah, um, or Wood Harris. Right. Uh, but. Yeah, and so this time I think I, I, I actually allowed myself to try and get invested and actually pay attention to the, the other actors in the scene outside of Campbell and uh, Bertier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, that's the relationship that the movie wants you to focus on. Yeah. And that is the perfect segue into my sizzle serve where I don't believe Campbell and Bertier's relationship that is a sizzle serve. And let me explain. That is a sizzle serve. Okay. And so growing up, I always did, right? And I think that's because of how the movie is written. Uh-huh. And I think it's because of the individual actors. I think Wood Harris, we saw him extensively in The Wire, and he was great in The Wire. And it's also funny because he was like 30 in this movie playing yeah. uh, uh, a like a 17-year-old. And it was also funny watching The Wire. I was like, you can't be uh, D's uncle. You're only like in your 20s. No, he was like into his 30s and like amazing right. logistically. But um, so that was like a weird experience for me. But but um, Remember the Titans ruined The Wire for you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Put it in print. Uh, and then I also enjoyed Ryan Hurst's uh, performance as Gary Bertier as well. And I think they do good jobs on an individual level. Yeah. And I think individually, individually. That's true. Do we get enough Campbell and his, like, home life, his life? No, no. But, like, as characters, I think they're both written pretty well. Uh, and in terms of growth and in terms of the relationship that they explore together. But they, I never got the sense of chemistry between Wood Harris and Ryan Hurst. I never believed that relationship on screen. I believed it because of how that relationship was written. And I believed it because of like where that relationship started. And how much time and patience and love this movie took 
with that relationship and especially with the individual acting for example when gary is paralyzed by like not being that great of a driver and so a truck hits him and then when julius campbell finds out that he's paralyzed that individual acting scene is a is a really impactful one because you believe in that moment like he is his friend and then when Julius Campbell walks into the uh to into the room that they're holding uh Bertier and Bertier says to the nurse uh it's my brother uh ma'am like you can't you see the resemblance and then oh. like also for some reason I never picked this up before but like how Bertier also raises the fist like in mm-hmm. solidarity with him I don't know I just I didn't notice that before but then I finally did I'm like oh my god like that's that enhances the moment so much more when Bertier really wanted that poster taken down from the Olympics on the 60s. Um, so, but, uh, but when they're connecting with one another on a scene-by-scene basis, like when they're sitting, and it's very small, but in this context, when they're sitting on the bus together on the way to camp, when at camp they're having that conversation of like, I don't want to know you and you don't want to know me, and so like, why don't you be a captain, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I, I believe that they're acting truthfully like in that moment as themselves and then later on in the movie when it's like left side uh, uh strong, side. strong side left side strong side um i don't believe that like that wire between them um that like sometimes i like to visualize the image of uh scene partners right that uh it doesn't matter the physical distance between them but always they have this like red hot wire between them and they're both like pulling it and there's like not pulling and pulling it but there's this like intensity so that this wire is always tight it's never it's never loose never slacked it's always a very tight thin line of a wire right there's there's hardly hardly any bumps in it and i never got that sense in between those two that i always felt like that's really good acting on an individual level that's really good acting on an individual level but like you two are not like listening to one another sure you're not responding to one another you're not responding to what the other person is giving you so i find myself i found myself like I still enjoy this relationship, but this relationship, and maybe part of it is nostalgia of, this isn't what I remember. I remember this relationship being a lot stronger, mm-hmm. but it was like, oh, like it's written well and it's acted well on an individual basis, but you guys aren't listening to one another and listening to what the other person's giving you. How much of listening in film do you think is the editor or the videographer and uh as opposed to the, the actor i mean sometimes listening is goddamn impossible in film because like yeah you're not sometimes you're just not acting to your scene partner yeah you're acting to nothingness or just something pointing out where their eyes are supposed to be like it's it's so difficult we don't like generally like we don't talk about that enough and so but but still like we have to consider it an indictment when the performance isn't where it needs to be like we we have to because that's the final product and that's what what we're seeing right but we also still have to consider that context and consider the fact hey this shit is hard doubly so when you don't have somebody there that you're actively responding to that in theater we take for granted. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, and I'm definitely not trying to like make an excuse for the, the performances that we saw in Room of the Titans. But uh, the, the first thing that I think of is, man, it would be really helpful if we could just like inject acting theory into editors and 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and videographers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, can you speak on that a little bit, a little bit more? Yeah, uh, like uh, if because, for instance, this this only pops in my mind because recently. Um, uh, I, I watched a showcase. I watched the TCU showcase okay. um, for like their senior actors, and uh, I I remember seeing the scenes or or uh, knowing the performers. Um, I knew that it was a certain way in person. Right. That it was. It, it simply did not seem the same at, at all. Whenever. It was on camera, and that's because it was only shot from three different cameras. And so, a lot of the time, um, there there was like a scene between these two people, and one of them got a lot of screen time, mm-hmm. uh, and it would linger on them after the line was over and things like that. And the other person just didn't get as much screen time, flat out, despite the fact that person was listening very well. And I think the fact that that person was listening told the editor that they were not the one that we should be watching right now mm-hmm. because they're not the one being active or being uh, right. action-packed enough. I mean, can you imagine, like, watching a scene between two people, but, like, the shots that you're getting are just the person listening? Like, that's not... You wouldn't... Right, Typically, right. you wouldn't want to watch that. Right. Because that's not the active going-dons of the scene. Yeah, you yeah. Know, even though they're being active, but they're certainly not being as active as their partner yeah. who's actively speaking. But a lot of the times, especially in a scene that has subtext, right. it's it feels very awkward or clunky or maybe even impossible for us to actually buy into a character whose decision or whose change happens in the silence yeah. or happens in the listening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and like, if, yeah. I, if, I, if I fully change tactics... But it's not on the line, or it's while you're talking. Right. It can be very clear in theater. Sure, because everything is on stage in front of you, and right. you can just move your head. Yeah. But you need a director right. for that. Right. You need a director who knows what's going on in the script and with the actors. Right. Yeah. And in a film, again, it's possible, but it needs someone that understands it, uh, that understands tactics like that. That right. understands listening and 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 uh, beat shifts and uh, like basics, but still still like acting theory right. nonetheless. Um, that yeah, I, I that, that that I wish uh, everyone got. And a lot of people have like a natural inclination to it, or like they, they that they as long as they are paying attention and being aware enough that they can they can get by with that. That's what I see a lot of. Is like for like for instance Steven Spielberg. I don't know if you've ever seen Steven Spielberg direct, um, or like videos of him directing or whatever. I, I have not. I know I, I, did, I didn't seen, imply <laughs> that you have been on a Steven Spielberg set. No. <laughs> I also like the idea of like how it was phrased to me. Like, have you seen a Steven Spielberg movie? And I was no. like, uh, uh, I mean, yes, but but like no. I was like, oh, what? that's a weird accusation. No, 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 no. Like like him, uh, him directing on set. I've not. Um, it's funny because he knows a lot about film and a lot about directing and writing Mm -hmm. and not a whole lot about anything else um like he doesn't know a whole lot about actors or what actors are supposed to do sure um or uh, theory or or theater um and so which he doesn't have to necessarily but it's interesting because he really does get by by just you know, by, by by talking to them in a common sense sort of way. And like a this is the story I'm trying to tell kind of way, you do the rest. Yeah. Um, 
Which, I mean, us as actors, and, and most actors are trained to and are expected to do that work on their own. So, like, you get something and you should be able to translate it into something that makes sense to you. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it would be very helpful if, you know, wh- whoever you're working with was, was accustomed to that. Yeah. Like, like a Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig is a fantastic on-set director. Like, if you ever see video of her, I'd highly recommend it. Watching videos of her directing scenes as they're happening. Um, because she knows that a lot of the audio that they're going to get is ADR after the fact. And so she will be talking out loud to the actors as they are side coaching, as they are uh, mid-scene. Mm. And not just it's like, not do this, do this, do this. Like, not barking direction at them. Right. But actually side coaching them. Yeah. And it is massively yeah. effective especially if you see movies like Lady Bird where she's working with younger actors yeah. that need side coaching it works yeah yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's also like a common uh, for those of you who don't know that's a common technique slash practice for uh, before I go on let's just say hi Dakota hi, hi Dakota and so that's a common practice for a lot of theatrical acting professors slash teachers that they will side coach you during scenes it's this yeah. like omniscient voice that's like out of the way and like sometimes it's but it if, if they're good it's not as distracting as you would think yeah it would be yeah um and so yeah that's a, that's a very common thing and so I think with in the case of this film uh, I think it's if we were to speculate I'm just getting that out on the front end yeah I think uh Boaz Keen like put a lot of faith in his actors and sometimes like uh I, maybe like that that faith shouldn't have been there because his, the actors sometimes weren't there you know but then when you have somebody like Denzel Washington that's on screen instantly he makes everybody around him better because how can you not respond to that yeah uh so it's just it's 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 good and it's bad sometimes and then so much of it then of course in the case of Steven Spielberg as well depends on the casting so right. like Bridge of Spies is a fantastic movie, partially because it's Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance. Yeah. And because those two are just brilliant. God, Mark they, Rylance. They have the Midas touch. They do. And same thing as Denzel Washington in this movie, that he has the Midas touch. And so then when you get those scenes with Will Patton, that's like, oh my God, wait, these scenes are a lot more electric than I ever gave them credit for. Uh, let's start to wrap up this bad boy. I just want to throw in there as well. Uh, an honorary uh, gold medal because a year ago we didn't do gold medals either. And so a gold medal is to somebody, maybe it could not just be an actor, but it could be a director or a writer or just anybody involved with the project. It's just an actor? Uh, yes, mine's an actor, okay. and it's uh, going to be Hayden Panettiere. I was about to say fucking Hayden Panettiere. Cheryl Yost. Yeah, because it, it's not common for you to see a nine-and-a-half-year-old actor uh, act their ass off. Yeah. And she does a great job, and you believe every moment, and she helps really strengthen the audience's relationship then with her father uh, in the movie, yeah. Bill Yost. Yep. And it, it provides a lot more of this human side, and also she's this fantastic comic relief. And 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 it's a shame because uh, I, the daughter's name is escaping me, but, but the individual, the girl who plays, uh, who played uh, Herman Boone's daughter... Um, it's it's so clear that Hayden Panettiere is a better actor, um, yeah. because just like I believe everything that you're doing, and I don't believe anything that you're doing. Yeah, right. Which is fine because they're kids. Um, yeah, right. But it makes it so much more of a treat when like, oh, you're a kid who's doing a fantastic job. This is great to watch. Yeah. So 
Mac, any closing thoughts on this classic from 21 years ago? Um, again, fine wine. It's uh, yeah, it's it's just uh, if if you've seen it before, feel free to watch it again um, because it. It, it does keep bringing new things to the table. Um, I highly recommend uh, showing it to anyone of any age, literally. Uh, one of the very few movies that I really can't think of a person that wouldn't enjoy this movie. Your grandma, your grandpa, as well as your uh, little cousin. Everyone. Everyone would like this movie if they gave it a chance. This is a lovely film. Uh, it is. I agree. It has aged like the finest of wines. Of course, still like a little bit campy here, and I think that's like to be expected. And like, yeah. And not every sports movie can be perfect because it focuses so heavy, heavily on something that is not intrinsic to the story itself per se. Yeah. And so like you're gonna get these montages, and sometimes it's difficult to have stories within these montages. But outside of that. I think uh, this movie is still great overall. I think the acting is strong, and I think the storytelling is strong. It just like it's like it is like a quintessential like B plus slash A minus movie. <laughs> like it's that. Like you can tell its flaws. You can see its flaws. Yeah. Um. But with that, you're still you still have a great time because of what it's doing and how it's doing it. Yeah. Um. It's an absolute treat, an absolute joy. One of the best sports movies of all time. And if you haven't watched it, why haven't you? How why, dare you? Why haven't you? I mean, uh, not even how dare you. It's just like, come on, man. Or woman. Or just uh, they, them. It baby. Just, yeah, come on, baby. Ain't no mountain high enough. Um, and, but, but seriously, like, this is a great movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and who knows? We may review it again a year from now. Oh, who knows? That'd be cute. So, uh... Mac? Yes. No, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I just stepped on everything that you were trying to do. What were you going to say? Because I'm... Well, I was going to lead into the next... Exactly what you're about to do. Lead into the next uh, episode. Wow, we really just like stumbled at the finish finish line, huh? Yeah, I mean maybe 20, 30 seconds. Yeah, and to, then like, we have our like ass crack showing. It's like, oh god, oh god, and, we're and so- now the basking in it, I think yeah. it's just as good. Yeah, and everybody's watching. Yeah, listening. That too. No, but I'm saying in the context of like this finish line analogy. Oh, oh wow! Oh. And now we're in last place. Mac, what are we going to review <laughs> next time? Crush the transition, crush the analogy, yeah. and hit the mic to hit really the mic cap as cap it off. Coda, you want to chime in? Okay. Um, for our next episode, this was the last episode of season one. Yeah. Of the artenders. Of year one. Yes. Year one of the artenders. Crazy, mind-boggling. So, uh. Our very first episode of season two, year two, um, is going to be my number one favorite movie. Wow. Number one favorite movie. I'll tell you why it is, and we'll get your takes on it uh, whenever we get there, and it is Parasite. You stressed? I'm so stressed. Good. I'm, like, excited but terrified. That's it. That's exactly the fucking movie we're talking about. Okay. Thank you guys so much, and we'll catch you next time. Oh, God.